0: Hi everyone, my name is Navridi and I'm Eric and welcome to our podcast Above and Below where we interview change makers and industry experts to help us explore how we're shaping our culture and how it's shaping us.
1: So in this season we're exploring topics related to the workplace. Navridi and I wanted to dive deeper into this topic because we both realize the profound effect and impacts work has on our lifestyles.
0: Yes, I definitely felt that work is part of our daily practices. You know, for most of us, we go into work, usually spend five days a week, you know, being in some kind of office situation or just being engaged in work, however it is you want to define that. And it's a daily doing. It's, a, it's an amalgamation of these, you know, consistent behaviors that we all take part in that essentially ends up shaping our attitudes, our future actions. How we connect with people and essentially how we make decisions. So that was really what prompted me to want to discuss workplace culture more in depth.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that end part culture in particular, it's really interesting through our travels and our relationships with friends from different countries, how cultures experience work differently. And, you know, American culture is very much about work and your career. And I especially noticed that when I married my husband, who's Brazilian, and he has a different relationship to work. And, you know, Brazilians don't necessarily talk about work when they're out with friends. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot lately as I'm over 30 now thinking about how I want my life to look as it relates to work. Because I think a lot of my late teens entering college and then through my 20s, we're trying to figure out how we fit in the workplace and what we're doing and why we're doing it. So I'm really excited about this podcast to explore how our generation is now shifting the way we work and what our expectations are in the workplace.
0: Absolutely. I feel like there's a lot of conversation happening behind work and also assigning a purpose to it. I feel like a lot of people want more clarity and want to feel more engaged in the workplace as well. And this kind of ask is being heard, uh, you know, by a lot of companies and a lot of organizations. And I think this is also something that's on their radar and they want to take certain actions to change the work environment and what working really means. So I'm really excited to learn more about how the, all of this is changing and what part we have in that and just how we're changing the definition of our lifestyle in general as well.
1: Yeah. Along those lines, I'd also like us to talk about and dispel myths about millennials in the workplace um, and you know, how we're perceived through these onslaught of articles about how millennials work and how they're finicky. And I'm sure that's, you know, it's hard to generalize a whole generation. But uh, from my perspective, like, I feel like a lot of my peers, we invested a lot in our education. And so we expect a lot now from the workplace and we want to like pay off our investment and get the most of it.
0: Yeah, so let's just jump off from there and go into our first episode. Sounds great. Today, we're going to discuss the topic of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Diversity and inclusion has become a widely trending topic in the last couple of years as organizations are realizing its benefits. Research has shown that having more diversity in the workplace puts the organization at a competitive advantage. They're more innovative, they attract a global market, and are profitable in the long run. The concept and execution of diversity and inclusion has multiple layers. And to help us dissect the topic today, we're speaking with the founder of the DEI Collective, Kelly Wagner. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we're very excited to have you on today. And, you know, we're very excited also to learn about your expertise in the field. Can you tell me first, what does DEI mean? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question.
2: Um, DEI stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion, which the equity kind of often gets left out, but it's so
0: important. Awesome. So the DEI Collective is your consulting group where you're working with... Many companies and organizations who are seeking to improve or increase diversity in their organizations, right?
2: Yeah. Um, so DEI Collective, we are a consultancy. We're also a collective of um, DEI practitioners and professionals, so facilitators, coaches, coaches. Um, consultants, strategists, and yeah, we basically work with companies to really understand what their unique barriers are to attracting and retaining diverse talent. So we do that through focusing on how can they build more inclusive cultures where people feel like they can belong and really thrive.
0: Cool. So tell me more about what motivated you to get into consulting with people and organizations about diversity and inclusion. That's a great
2: question. I think like most startup founders, um, it probably started with wanting to solve my own problem. Um, I spent the early part of my career, um, particularly in New York City, uh, working first in real estate finance randomly um, and then moving into the tech industry. And being a woman of color, I definitely was often one of the only in the room, um, whether the only woman, whether the only person of color. um, And, you know, it really took a toll on me. Um, I think there was a period of time where I was averaging maybe six to eight months at a company and thinking, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get it together? And being able to take a step back from that and look at it in hindsight It really did come down to so often I was one of the only people that looked like me who had had certain experiences and it was really alienating. And beyond that, it was really like doing double duty um, where I felt like I was playing this dual role of, you know, the job that I was hired to do as well as being the kind of diversity whisperer. (laughs) Um, and so I think it got to the point where one I I wanted to solve this problem for other people Like me who are having this experience at work But I also felt like I was already doing this second job for free So I might as well get paid to do it and and actually have people really listen to me
1: So kelly, I find it really interesting uh, What you're saying about being in the workplace and recognizing that you're different and I feel like that's a very common thread through you know, minorities in the workplace having to work maybe double, put in extra effort to get recognition or just like validating what you're doing and not like second guessing yourself. So I'd love t- for you to extrapolate more on that. And what are some techniques that maybe you've gone to, you know, move on past that now that you've been doing this? Or maybe it's something you haven't moved past.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that I love about. My work is that we focus a lot on listening, um, particularly listening to people from marginalized backgrounds and hearing their experiences in the workplace. And I think a common thread that I found that I've, I've certainly experienced myself as a person of color is you know, this kind of questioning, right, of second guessing yourself, Um, especially, you know, another kind of hot topic that has come up around diversity and inclusion is this idea of microaggressions. The idea that people are constantly being bombarded with these affirmations or, you know, negative connotations about their identity that are typically, you know, the people who are hers saying them don't mean anything negative by them, but they're really coming off as really hurtful. So things like "you're so articulate" to saying that to a person of color, or you know, "you don't seem gay" <laughs> to um, right. somebody from an LGBTQ background, and um, and I think when you're bombarded by that. Day after day after day, you start to think, well, am I being too sensitive? Am I overthinking it? Um, Am I imagining it? And that's something that I hear a lot and it's something that I really experienced was for a really long time, I thought the problem was me. Um, I would look at, you know, how often I was leaving companies and the problems that I was having with managers, Um, people saying, you know, you're too aggressive or the way that you speak to other people is confrontational and being able to step away from it, uh, it really dawned on me. I'm not imagining these things like these are things that are really biased behaviors Um, and whether they're unintentional or intentional, they had a real impact on me and on my self-esteem and on my ability to advocate for myself. Um, And so I think that, yeah, it's it's something that people from marginalized identities experience and it's really harmful in the way that we are able to show up in the workplace.
0: Based on your learnings and insights from your work, how do you think companies can understand diversity beyond just being a quota that needs to be filled? I think that a lot of
2: companies, and even as a society in general, we have a really limited um, definition of what diversity is. And identity is really like an iceberg. So there are um, things that sit above the surface and those are the things that are visible. So age, race, gender but they're just the tip, right? And there are so many things that lie beneath the surface that we can't see just automatically by looking at someone. Um, things like socioeconomic background, where someone went to school, um, you know, whether they were raised in a single-parent household or a dual-parent household. And all of those contribute to someone's diversity. So really, in a nutshell, diversity is just about difference. And I think because we have such a narrow definition of diversity, particularly when companies are first approaching this work, it can be really scary for people because they don't see themselves in that work. And so one of the things that I love to start off with with our clients is really just thinking about identity and even having that conversation in and of itself and really circling back to this idea that everyone has a diversity story And so, you know, recently I did a training, we did a training with a client that was overwhelmingly, you know, their employee base was overwhelmingly white and female um, and straight. And there was this sense that, you know, there was very little diversity within the organization and, you know, visible diversity, 100 percent. But I think that there became this divide between the people who really were seen as diverse and the people that weren't. And and it created a lack of empathy on both sides and so in doing some of this work around well what lies beneath the tip of the iceberg for people we really got to tap into some powerful stuff around belonging and and feeling that sense of like not fitting in and we had you know white men who were sitting there having these moments with People who maybe are visibly diverse and sharing moments for them of of not feeling like they belong or of growing up poor or of growing up, you know, with English as their second language um, and kind of getting to relate to people who were they worked alongside who were visibly marginalized in a way that they had never been able to do before. And I think what's so important about that is it creates buy in from everyone because we all can tap into this sense of what it feels like to not belong or to feel different. Um, and when you can do that, you're able to empathize so much more with some of the people who maybe have to carry their diversity story in a more visible way. Um, and so I think that that's just such an important step for companies to realize is that diversity looks like so many different things. Um, and it's really all about, can you tap into, you know, this sense of what it feels like to not belong and and make a culture where everyone can have those feelings of belonging.
1: Yeah, I find that really interesting. And Navridi and I were talking earlier about even just the experience of going to college. Like, I know you mentioned in our earlier talks how you went to, you know, an all-white upbringing or environment, uh, similarly myself, and then you know, went to college and you're exposed to all this diversity and you're confronted on so many levels, like in the classroom and student groups. Um, and it's challenging, but it also helps you become a better student. You, I remember writing my best essay after a conversation about do the right thing, you know, Spike Lee's do the right thing. Um, but it was—I remember—I'll never forget writing that essay because, um, you know, a woman had explained to me her experience as a Latina, um, you know, growing up with like also like uh, a black sibling. So, you know, I think it's—you know—we're in our thir- early thirties, late twenties, and we're so used to now being exposed to all this diversity, and we almost take it for granted. And we're going into these workplaces where. You know, people aren't necessarily accustomed to talking about that. And also, you may have gone to a college where you could have flown by a prestigious college and not have gotten exposed to much diversity. That happens all the time. You know, a degree doesn't mean anything. But, you know, how do you bring that all together? um, You know, I think a lot about the institutions that create everything. So I'm curious to learn more about how your experience of doing your work has shifted over the course of doing this because, um, how do you start to transform the culture? Um, is it through these conversations that you have? Um, because we're up against a lot of existing status quo.
2: Yeah. I, I want to answer that question. I also just want to take a step back and talk about kind of people's exposure to difference. Um, one of the things that I love to ask is kind of um, thinking about who you have a close relationship with that is different than you, you know, significantly different, right? Whether it's race or gender, I think gender maybe is probably the most um, the answer that most people have uh, experienced because you know they have family members of a different gender and they love them and they're close to them, but. Even taking the example of race, um, I think when you get down to it, a lot of people have never built a close relationship with someone from a different race or background than them. Um, And the workplace becomes one of the first places that they're forced to really work closely with someone of difference. And so it does create this kind of like, oh my gosh, we're completely different people. We have different experiences. We have different worldviews and ways that we interact with people people around us because we just have had different experiences growing up and so it can be like the first time for people to actually have to build those close relationships and that's that comes with its own challenges as far as the institution of work and what how kind of my perspective has changed over time I think it's a balance I went into this work wanting everything to be transformational, um, and I'm not sure that that's always plausible. Um, somebody said to me once, you know, well, this this came up because we originally because um, you know this company really wanted to. Um, be inclusive and welcoming to diverse people, but they also had to come up against the fact that they have clients that they work with and that their employees work with. And how do we account for the clients who may not have the skills or the awareness that our internal team has? Um, How do we send our employees out into the world and make sure that they're safe when they're interacting with people outside of the office? And that's where it gets tricky, right? Is like you can build the most inclusive environment in the workplace, but you're still going to come up against the systemic racism, the systemic homophobic um, nature of, you know, our society, um, the bias against people with disabilities. So it's hard because you could spend all of your time trying to transform your workforce, but every day they leave the office and they inevitably bring bad habits back into the workplace. On the flip side, you know, the other side of that work is the technical Side of the work, which is really around, okay, if we can't change people at a core level, how can we make sure that we approach our systems and processes and all of the systemic stuff in a way that reduces the ability for bias to creep in? And so you look at the work and you say, on one end of the spectrum is this transformational, adaptive work that's really individual based. And on the other side is, The systems and the processes and you can you can actually do a lot of work there right so you can say I may never be able to get my manager who's going to interview um, new candidates to be able to have no bias when they come into the workplace we can give them training we can give them tips for how to minimize bias but what can I do in light of the fact that we still have humans interacting with other humans um And so we look at things like, you know, candidate scorecards. So being really, really objective about what are you evaluating the candidate on so that it becomes less about, oh, we went to the same school, we know the same people, they just feel right, right? Like I have a gut feeling that they're good um, and making it more objective. So those are kind of some of the technical things that you can do. And I think that when I came into the work, I wanted it all to be about transformation. And I I still, I think that that work is... um, super important and actually very meaningful. It's probably what makes me love this work. But I also think that there's, you know, sometimes that technical work is also really important in minimizing um, the bias and the um, problematic nature of of the workplace.
0: Mm, So going back to the core concepts of how you define diversity, I'm also now starting to think about inclusion. Because inclusion is that soft skill that needs to be cultivated in the workplace. And you were mentioning that it's that sense of belonging you often work with on an individual basis with some of your clients. So I'm curious to know, how would you define and measure inclusion? Yeah, I mean, that's
2: the million dollar question that if I had the complete answer to I would probably be a very very rich woman Um, but you know if diversity is all about who you have in the room inclusion is about how you make them feel safe and welcomed and create an environment where they can actually contribute to their fullest ability Um, and I think it is it is harder to measure there's a big reason why glaring reason why Um, companies especially tech companies that are so data-driven want to focus on diversity because diversity is about numbers about hiring people it's about how can we make sure that we have enough women that we have enough people who are differently abled um, that we have enough people that are older um, enough parents and and so that's quantifiable right you can say I just need to go out and pull all these people in what is way more nebulous and way trickier because it involves People's own unique, like, feelings of what makes them feel safe is that inclusion piece. But the problem with focusing only on diversity is you're creating a leaky bucket syndrome, which is that you are pulling in new diverse people, right? And your company's getting more diverse. But then you're looking up and you're like, well, we still look the same as we did before. And the reason is because there's this lack of focus on inclusion. And therefore, you get these people in and they don't feel safe, or they don't feel heard, they don't feel valued, they don't feel seen, and so they leave. Um, And so as fast as you're getting people in, you're losing them just as quickly. And so that inclusion piece, while it is a little bit more, it's more nebulous, right? And it's harder, it's also really important. So I can measure inclusion by looking at things like retention, so if I'm doing a great job, then people are going to want to stay longer. They're going to want to um, be more productive. Um, I think these are things that you can measure through perception, right? Ask employees, do you feel heard? Do you feel like when you speak up, your perspective is valued? It's included in in decision-making processes. And so that's one way to measure it. As far as getting it, you know, I think that's different for every company the way that we approach it at DEI Collective is, is really through listening. We ask a ton of questions to the employees of the companies that we work with, not just about what's not working, but also about what's working. What, if not at that company, but like what throughout your career has made you feel seen, has made you feel heard? And oftentimes it's really, really small things, right? It's being asked your opinion in a meeting. Um, it's being invited out to coffee by your coworkers. And, you know, I think it gets a little woo woo. And so companies are like, well, it's not our job to make sure everyone feels like rainbows and sunshine all the time. Um, but one of the things that I hear so often is when I feel included um, on a regular basis, that's less time and energy that I'm spending wondering, do I belong here? And more time and energy that I'm like, working, like doing the work that I'm getting paid to do. And so while it may seem like, oh, this is just a nice to have, it really, really does drive um, drive business goals.
1: Yeah, I find what you're saying about inclusion really interesting, um, especially focusing on, you know, the positive feedback and, and retention and, you know, just moving beyond these old stereotypes people have about Diversity and getting over it, I feel like it's just gonna take a generation to shed a lot of like ideas we have about affirmative action and who deserves to be where. This is a really interesting topic, especially in Silicon Valley, um, where you know a lot of women are now walking out and against the culture. And one, one find myself wondering, you know, you're talking about a lot of this resistance you meet uh, with. diversity and it's like do we just need to like fund more companies uh that are diverse at the start right because like it's really hard to get a bunch of harvard and stanford bros to um you know really be transformative yeah Um, they want to be maybe on the surface um but
2: i think there's two paths to that right i think one is and it was my in my case it was the the route that I took was I didn't feel like I had a seat at the table so I went and made my own table you know I started my own company I can hire the people that I want our team is incredibly diverse already Um, you know we're a small team but our internal team we I think have like every race covered actually which is every major racial group covered which is really funny because yeah we look like the United Nations it's crazy but that's intentional right and having a diverse founder at the helm that's something I'm constantly thinking about in a way that I know you know many people um who do come from backgrounds that are more um you know in the majority right or more dominant in fields like tech um it may just not be something that they're thinking about because it's not something that they've experienced themselves. But I also think that there is another solution, which is making sure it's something that's going to hurt them financially if they don't prioritize it. And that's where you get into the business case of diversity and inclusion and you can spout off all of these stats about how companies that have women or people of color in their leadership teams you know, have better financial returns. Um, they create x percent more innovative products they reach x percent wider markets than their counterparts that don't take advantage of the diversity on their team or don't bring in diverse perspectives but you know when you're talking about startups at a, at a startup level the one thing that they most of them have in common is that they're trying to get funded and one of the best things that I've seen um, is when VCs just make it a part of the requirement you know, there are some great VCs out there now that really make that a requirement that you need to be prioritizing diversity and inclusion in these ways. And they're very specific about what they want their founders to be achieving. And when you have that interwoven from the start, it makes it so much easier to grow your culture with that focus in mind. When you have 500 people and now all of a sudden you need to get 500 people on board um, it's really hard it is it's just harder to steer a bigger ship than it is to steer like a kind of tiny tugboat Um, and so when when people who have the power to control a company's trajectory are holding founders accountable um, that's how that's how progress is made we would love to say that we live in a world where everybody understands that this is the right thing to do um, but sometimes people need that push and, and hopefully if they get that push, then eventually it's kind of a fake it till you make it and they end up being bought in cause they see the benefits.
1: Just one more thing. Like, yeah, on that topic, like, I don't know if it's a personal thing that I've experienced, but to shed some of my ignorance, it had to be through experiences and also seeking out wanting to understand more, uh, to avoid any future conflict. Um, but yeah, like you're saying it's like some people may not be willing to you have to kind of put in the effort, right? Like if you're not willing to Change you're just it's like it feels forced for you. Yeah,
2: when you say seeking out um Asking questions to avoid conflict you mean like from a you don't want to be called out perspective or say the wrong thing
1: No. Well, I don't know. Maybe when I was younger, I would, that that was probably like my, in college, like I wanted to understand a certain perspective that I never heard before. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to have those experiences to transform myself. Like, um, and it was a, it was a thing over time. Like, I don't know if it was going to happen overnight. Um, but maybe everybody's just like, goes at their own pace.
2: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, it just made me think about the question of how hard do you push somebody? What's the right push point? Right? Um, I I get really I get a little bit frustrated with call out culture is yeah. you know this idea that well, there's you a lot know, of
1: resentment around it now
2: yeah you i know. think that it i think that it backfires a little bit this idea that you know we're just waiting for someone to slip up so we can be like racist <laughs> um, <laughs> sexist you know and i like to say to people all the time you know do you want to be right or do you want things to improve and be better um and when you are pushing someone in a way that's just trying to prove that they don't know something or make them feel bad. I don't know that that's always the right way to get people through the door. Um, And and for some people, it works really well, right? Like they're shamed once they learn their lesson. but, But for a lot of people, it makes them shut down.
0: And I think that's sometimes what happens in the workplace. So in the work that you've done so far with your clients, uh, what are some of the benefits that you've seen of diversity being incorporated uh, in that organization? I think
2: the benefits that we see, I mean, ultimately, from the second that we step in the door, there's already a benefit in that people see that the company's investing in it. And that creates a lot of Um, renewed faith in the company because they're like oh this is something that the company cares about so even if we're not perfect it's something that they're focusing on. Um, I'd say this next kind of moment where we see a lot of um, benefit is after doing assessment. So what our assessments look like is, you know, this survey, but then also focus groups and one-to-one interviews where we're really just sitting down and listening to people. Um, and I think for a lot of people, that is one of the first times that they've really had an opportunity to feel heard in that way in the workplace. And I would say every client that we've worked with tells us that like, there's just an immediate shift in attitude um, after that because they realize that this is this isn't going to be some situation where you know the company is just going to start making a bunch of decisions and say well we did it in the name of diversity and inclusion. It really does want to hear kind of what's working and what's not working from the people on the ground. Um, but I think the long term benefits that we see really is you know. It is the things that are out there that, you know, are stats about higher productivity, about greater retention. Um, but I think the biggest benefit and maybe the hardest to attain has been, you know, better products, better services. Um, one of our consultants in the collective, focuses on um, the non-binary gender experience and they've really been able to work with a lot of clients to think from a UX perspective um, who are you losing you know when you think about a sign-up flow for an app or for a website that you're signing up for and it asks you your gender and you have male or female to choose from um, who's falling out of that flow because they're like, like neither of these describes me. Um, and it's such simple things to add a third option. Um, and a lot of companies don't even think about that until they have someone in the company who can raise the flag and say, Hey, by the way, this is my experience. This is a pain point for me in using this product. Um, and so if you don't have those people in the room to call it out, then, you know, you're missing, it's a missed opportunity. Um, And then the next step from that is that Hopefully, you move from having that person with that identity have to always be the one calling it out, and you move to a culture where people are starting to catch these things themselves, regardless of their background, and say, "Hey, you know, we we might actually be missing a perspective here, um, or what are we not seeing that could be our impact um, on the people that we
0: people that we're serving, our our customers." Cool. So. It sounds like you've worked with a lot of different companies and there's a lot to be worked on regarding diversity and inclusion. And it's definitely a transformation, as you mentioned, or a change that happens in increments. It's not something you just see happening overnight. (laughs) So I feel like it's a huge learning process. So I'm curious to know, uh, what is something that you've learned from your experiences so far that you didn't know before? Uh, There's a couple. I mean, I learn
2: something new probably every day. I think to your point, About it being a long term process. Um, As someone who is very instant gratification, I'm like, I won't order seamless if it's going to take more than 30 minutes. Um, It is a game of patience. Um, The companies that we work with, you know, we're working with them over several months, and sometimes things get worse before they get better. You know, you throw a bomb into the room by, making people open up and talk about their vulnerabilities and talk about identity. And a lot of the, um, you know, when we do assessments and we do these focus groups, a lot of the frustration and fear and sadness and anger all kind of bubbles to the surface. And and so, you know, if people are thinking, oh, we do this one training or we do, you know, some we create a diversity council and all of a sudden things are going to be better they're going to be disappointed it really is this isn't about doing a one-time initiative this is about how do we weave this into our the fabric of our culture and and change the way that we operate through every aspect of our company and I'm not sure that a lot of companies understand that when they start to embark on this work so I think that's one thing that I've learned is really the importance of making sure that people are ready, that they know kind of what commitment they're making when they dive into this work, because I think you almost do more harm Um when you do it kind of half-heartedly or you start and then you stop um it's it's one of the reasons why one-off trainings backfire so much for companies is that they think like oh well if we put people in a room for 2 hours and we talk about unconscious bias then that's enough but what they've done is they've surfaced all of these issues and and then walked away from it and that can be really detrimental um, And then the second thing that I think I've really learned is just the importance of leadership buy-in. I mean, ultimately, nothing gets done in a company unless leaders are really 100% bought in. And I think, you know, just due to the makeup of leadership teams at companies across the country, that can be the hardest part because too often, unfortunately, leaders are not reflective of marginalized identities and so they may not necessarily walk into this work with a personal experience that really motivates them or ties them to this issue emotionally um, so you know I've I've realized that starting with leadership and really getting buy-in not just um, a verbal yeah sure or even a, oh yeah we'll put money toward this but really working with them to say do you understand why you're doing this do you you have true, true buy-in. So
1: regards to the buy-in, do you find that, like, I guess you should ask, when do you find companies coming to you? Are they in a crisis or everything's going well and they have extra budget? Are they small? Are they big? It varies.
2: Yeah, I think, I think it varies. It's really funny. I'm like over here kind of smiling because, yeah, a crisis is always the easiest way to get people in the door. When people are in pain, they're way more likely to um, to go and seek out help. That being said, you know, what's interesting is we do have a lot of working with clients primarily in, you know, some of the major cities around the U.S. Um, who tend to be a bit more progressive and and want to be, either are progressive, see themselves as progressive, or want to be seen as progressive, there is a little bit more proactivity on their part to address diversity and inclusion and really build a culture that supports that. But I often find that they're the ones who then are most challenged when they do these assessments and things come out that like, oh, maybe we're not in as great of a position as we thought we were. Um, I think that can be a really tough pill to swallow. Um, it's it's the reason why working with companies that do really see themselves as progressive and super liberal and super accepting, you know, those can be the hardest companies to work with because it's hard to hold up a mirror to them and say, you know, you have some blind spots, you have some gaps, you have some things that you need to work on. Um, that causes people pain, like emotional pain, ego pain, um. And so I find that sometimes those companies that are trying to be proactive actually end up struggling more, whereas the companies that are in crisis have seen, you know, they're humbled, right? They're like worried about a lawsuit. They have had bad press. Um, They're seeing a ton of employees leave. You know, they've already been humbled because they've felt the negative effects. And so they come, I think, a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more ready to do the work.
0: Is there anything you feel like we, the public audience, can uh, be more aware of or learn from you about regarding diversity and inclusion?
2: I mean, I think there's, look, most of us, if we're of working age, go to work in some capacity every day. I would say there are a couple of things. I mean, treating people like full people. Um, I think so often we when we walk through the workplace we see our coworkers as someone to kind of like serve a function um, whether it's someone that you work with directly um, and you need them to complete some tasks for you or it's someone that you don't work with so you just see them and you're like oh they're part of that team. Um, we we don't leave our identities. We don't leave our worldviews. We don't leave our experiences, our baggage, if you will, at the door when we come into the workplace. And so I would say approaching everyone with curiosity um, and what can I learn about this person? How can I adapt to, to their needs or even just think about the fact that you know the things that they have experienced through life may impact the way that they interact with you and how can I be aware of that and be understanding of that and and really truly um, act with empathy to the people that um, I encounter throughout my day say that's a really small yet big thing that we can all do
1: Yeah, empathy is the word of the day, of the year, (laughs) of the decade now. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing. I feel like we both learned a lot. We hope the audience did. Um, I'm really glad that you're out in the world doing the work that you're doing. It's really important. Everybody needs a nudge. And do you want to add anything?
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed... A lot of the things that you said, you know, it sounds like we really need to take more initiative into humanizing the workplace, as opposed to feeling like we're just working for a big machine. Uh. Yeah,
2: everyone wants to feel like they're seen as a human. I think it's a pretty universal feeling. Um, and and to your point, yeah, we're not we're not robots, not yet. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, we're in the information age. Um, I think more and more people are expecting more uh, from everywhere, their work, and especially diversity. So
2: it's a wonderful revolution, right? Um, You know, people coming into the workforce now have a high standard of wanting to be seen and heard, and you know, I think that can be scary for some people um, who are new to that,
0: but I think in the end um it's a wonderful thing absolutely let's leave it there and thank you so much Kelly for joining us today and sharing your insights on diversity and inclusion in the workplace Kelly is the founder of DEI Collective she's doing some great work and we can't wait to talk to her again you can see her work and everything that DEI does on their website called wearedei.com
1: To all our listeners, if you have any questions and comments about this episode, we encourage you to email us at hello at aboveandbelow.nyc. We have many more topics to cover about the future of the workplace, and you can stay in the loop with us by subscribing to our channels on iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor. Thanks so much for listening.